Hi, and welcome to this week's episode of Seen and Heard, industry updates for the modern dairy family. I'm Melissa Lima, your North Coast and Organic Field Services representative, bringing you this week's episode, which is action-packed with a lot of updates for our dairy producers. This week, we hear from Tiffany LaMandola, our contract economist with Blimling Ever Ag, who brings us a market update. Paul Souza joins us for a recap of the recent AMP grant period and some tips for producers who are thinking of applying for the program in the next round of funding. And finally, we sit down with Anya Radabaugh, Western United Dairy CEO, to chat about the governor's May revised budget and what it could mean for ag and dairy in California. We hope you enjoy the episode. We'll jump right in with Tiffany. Hi, folks. We had a pretty good week with most of our markets moving in the directions we like to see them. Most of our dairy commodities were higher. Uh, block cheddar cheese regained seven and a quarter cents back to 238. We did lose some on barrels, but still at a nice strong 234 and three quarters for the week. Butter gained back 14 and a half cents to 285, and nonfat dry milk gained back seven cents to $1.80. Uh, likewise, our grain markets, uh, you know, we're down a little bit on corn. We're down to 7.78 and three quarters. And soy meal, however, did gain for the week. We had a few reports for the markets to digest, starting off with a global dairy trade on Tuesday. It was kind of a ho-hum report relative to the last few auctions. Recall the last few auctions were down fairly dramatically on most of the prices. This week, it was kind of uh, up a little here, down a little there. The markets digested them without uh, too much fanfare. Probably the biggest report of the week was milk production report for the month of April. And that number came in below expectations. We were down a percentage for the uh, for the month across the U.S. You know, we had to meet pretty high levels last year. So no surprise, we didn't um, quite hit the robust levels of last April. Um, USDA did take a look at cow numbers. They revised March a little bit higher, but left uh, April unchanged. So we are still at a deficit of 98,000 head of cows year over year. So the market moved higher on the tail of that report. And so we saw class three and class four both regain some for the week. Class three for the third quarter back up to 2419 and class four for the quarter back up to 25. Next week, eyes will be on the cold storage report on Monday to see how aggressively we built both butter and, uh, and cheese inventories for the month. And besides that, the week is pretty quiet. Hope you have a great one. Hi, I'm Jessica with PG&E. 811 is a free service to keep our community safe. Before you do any digging, PG&E will mark your gas and electric lines so you don't hit them. Call 811 before you dig. To learn more, visit pge.com safety. We would like to welcome back to the show, Paul Souza, Western United Dairies Director of Regulatory and Environmental Affairs. Hi, Paul. How's it going? Hey, Melissa. Doing pretty good. How about yourself? Good. Thanks. Thanks for being here. Um, you've had about a week to decompress from the craziness that was the AMP application period. So we're thankful that you're here today and hopefully a, a little bit of time to digest how the process went and maybe we'll kind of do a little back and forth on some thoughts. You and I worked together on a few applications. I know you worked closely with Darby on a few, and I think in total you told me you submitted eight applications on behalf of our members. Yeah, I would. That it was right around eight or nine, if you included the one that uh, somebody else was working on, and, and I was helping them out. So um, it was a busy time, and those applications were due May 9th. and so yeah, a little over a week 
um, over past that and uh, glad to be past that because it is a lot of work uh, trying to meet that deadline with all of those applications. Yeah, I think we say um, you and I talked and it's probably 30 to 40 hours a piece depending on the intensity of the project. Easily, yeah. Um, between everybody working on it, uh, between the work that the dairyman is putting in, the contractor, uh, sometimes the environmental consultant, myself, uh, it's easily at least that many hours to get a, uh, a decent application. So I guess, Paul, the first question kind of is, and, and I can probably speak a little bit to this, but this application period wasn't much different than the last. It was a little bit longer, um, if I remember correctly, but a little bit more time once applications open to get those um, applications together. But how did you feel about the overall process um, working with CDFA and the, the tools that they rolled out this year? Yeah, so you know we've kind of gotten used to this. Um, this is the fourth or fifth round that I've done applications for AMP. And so, um, you know, it's kind of becoming routine. There's some minor changes and updates. Uh, an example of a change uh, this time was the greenhouse gas calculator. They made some changes to it to make it a little more streamlined, a little more simple. Um, we are a um, technical assistance provider with CDFA. So we get some additional training and some a little right. more background uh, than maybe the average person does on um, you know, the rollouts of this and how this is going to go. So uh, been very typical and not that unusual from past rounds with just some minor changes. Uh, there was the change that uh, the, le the legislation that appropriated this funding said that AMP should be prioritized. And so CDFA did um, put aside more of the funding for AMP than they have in previous rounds. Uh, we'll see how that turns out. Um, but I have some, some background things, um, you know, we're talking AMP and we're not really uh, given a lot of background on this and, and maybe I'll jump into a little background. Um, so AMP stands for the Alternative Manure Management Program. Um, and the background here is that, you know, obviously there's a lot of interest in greenhouse gas and methane emission reductions um, in this state. And manure is a significant source of methane uh, emissions from dairies. Um, the other one being enteric uh, methane emissions. Mm -hmm. And manure forms methane when it's stored uh, in a wet environment like a lagoon um, where it doesn't have oxygen and then uh, microbes break it down and digest it in that anaerobic environment. Um, and there's two ways to reduce these em emissions. Uh, one is to collect the methane as renewable energy. And the other one is to prevent the formation of methane from manure in the first place by keeping it out of the lagoon. So I wanna you know, go over this again, just to make sure everybody knows the types of projects that um, AMP is funding. And I'm gonna focus here on the Alternative Manure Management Program or right. AMP, uh, because that's the one we've been more involved with. But I do wanna remind folks, part of that in the same deadline was for digesters and that has gotten a lot of interest. Um, so it's funding things like manure separators that remove solid manure from flush uh, from flush water and keep that out of the lagoon. Um, conversion to uh, scrape or vacuum with dry manure handling, even if it's partial, like vacuuming or scraping one day a week and then handling that manure in a dry form. Uh, compost bedded pack barns, moving cows from something like a flush freestall barn to a compost bedded pack barn where the manure is stored and treated within the barn in an aerobic state. Or increasing the time on pasture, if there's something you can do uh, if you're a pasture-based dairy or you're switching to pasture, the cows spend more time on pasture, you're going to collect less of that manure um, in, the, um, in the lagoon. 
And so that's a little bit of background on the whole, uh, you know, for the folks who may or may not have heard of that. Um, next, yeah, we can kind of get into this last round and um, kind of our experiences with it, uh, unless you have anything you want to add there. No, I think I think you hit it, um, the nail on the head there, Paul. And we've had um, a variety of members from all different regions in California apply and get funded over the years. And so, again, this time we worked with members all over the state and it was kind of rewarding to get those wrapped up last week. Um, I think most of them we actually got wrapped up the Thursday before, but um, it was just good to get get some stuff. It helps you connect with the members also and learn a little bit more about their dairies and and what we always talk about with these members is let's do a project that makes sense on your dairy that helps on the dairy makes things easier we're not trying to reinvent the wheel we're trying to make their lives a little bit easier while reducing methane emissions with these projects yeah absolutely and always enjoy connecting with members on this um, it is a lot of work but i do enjoy that um, and it has become popular and i've had this happen um, you know a dairy in a neighborhood installs something and then the neighbors are you know like hey I you know, you put in a separator, how'd you pay for that? Or, you know, yeah. how did, oh, there's this program that pays for it from the state. Well, you know, how, how do I get that funding? You know, that sounds great. And so um, I have really seen the interest in this grow and that's shown by the number of applications. Um, yeah. And just on this last round, just last, that was due last week, CDFA received 62 applications requesting over $42 million for this program. Um, and CDFA expects to award just over $12 million to AMP out of the 32 million for uh, livestock methane emissions, the rest goes to digesters and some overhead for CDFA. And so um, this program is clearly oversubscribed. There's a lot of interest. It's very popular with dairy producers. Um, it pays up to $750,000 with no cost match required. Uh, and so in some cases it improves the dairy facility, um, you know, could reduce costs of manure management. Um, it, these have really worked out well for those dairy producers that uh, have been a part of this. Definitely. And a lot of times these projects are things that producers have been thinking about for a long time. And this is just a means to, to get there and, and have the co-benefit of reducing methane emissions. We also realize that there's co-benefits to water quality and all sorts of other things on the dairy um, with these projects. So I think that was a really cool part of it, getting to work with the local water boards in my area. They see the value in this for our dairies and um, our local elected officials were really supportive of it. So it brings a lot of people together for a, you know, a common goal. And then that common goal usually has other, uh, you know, ancillary benefits for the, the facility and the community and everybody. Yeah, I have a number of dairy producers where, like you said, this has been something they've been wanting to do for a long time and AMP makes that possible. Uh, wouldn't be possible without that, um, but that funding really you know, helps catalyze that and make that a possibility. Um, so something unusual about this round is that uh, it looks like we already know we're gonna get $48 million for another round, which could happen as early as this fall. And so um, you know, it's time to start working on that, I think, uh, the next round. Yeah. Um, as I mentioned, you know, WUD did get a grant from CDFA to provide technical assistance. Um, and then I was going to give some tips on applications that you and I, you know, talked about and the things we've learned over time yes. uh, from our experience as technical uh, providers, technical assistance providers under this grant. For sure. So, and I, I just to reiterate your point, if you're thinking about doing this project, waiting until the applications open is not the right time. 
it's time to hit the ground running right now. And I think these tips will be really helpful for producers yeah. who heard about the project, seen what their neighbors have done, um, or just maybe hearing about it for the first time and are interested. So the first one falls right in line with that. And it, I'm kind of sound like a broken record on it, <laughs> but it's start early. Yes. It's not too early to start on the next round. It, it may seem like it. Um, you know, what's going to run in the uh, state's next fiscal year, which starts July 1st. Yeah. Uh, so it could uh, and likely will run in the fall of this year. Okay. Uh, that applications will come out. So if you're interested, you know, you, I, I talk to dairy producers that are in the application period that, you know, I think I'm, I'm thinking about doing this, or maybe I think I'm, I'm thinking about doing that, or, you know, what company should I go with for a separator? Or, like that stuff is the stuff you need to be deciding right now. Um, you know, yeah. what's brand of separator, what style, and I, I don't get into those conversations, but the dairy producers, the decisions they need to be making, you know, where's it going to go on the dairy? What size? Um, mm -hmm. You know, do I want company X or company Y? Um, that stuff that needs to be decided uh, or start moving on right now, uh, because that's important. Um, these folks, you know, get down to the wire and you're asking for bids. And that was something, and you and I have talked about also, is yeah. there seemed to be a real struggle with getting bids yeah. uh, this um, time around compared to other times. I think that's all the craziness we're having with, you know, not being able to find employees and yep. people are super busy because the economy seems to be booming. And so, you know, they don't want to take time out of their schedule to sit down and write a bid. Um, it was a struggle, it seemed, for a lot of folks uh, to get bids from these suppliers and these contractors to build these projects. And the longer you wait, you know, the more that makes it challenging. And But I did talk to some people that started early. I had one dairy that started in October um, trying to get bids and trying to get a design and didn't get it until two weeks from the deadline yeah. because the, the vendor was just, you know, swamped or not responsive. And so another thing is to stay on the, you know, if you call them and you say, Hey, you know, can you come out, take a look at my place, let's get a bid. Don't wait two to three months to do the follow-up. If you haven't heard from them, you, you need to, you know, stay on their case and, and make sure that you get that taken care of and, and get that bid coming in. Absolutely. And I, I would, you know, just to reiterate that our contractors are very busy people, um, whether it's for equipment, I've had a couple guys that have put in applications for buildings, same thing. And if there's permitting involved, work with your contractor to know what is involved and what preliminary permits you may need, because those are worth a couple of points on the application and project readiness. And we had a couple guys wait till the last minute last week to go into their building departments. Those folks are also really busy. Everybody's short staffed, there's supply chain issues. So I can't um, reiterate enough, Paul, that like getting started early is, is number one. And especially if we're thinking about maybe having a funding round this fall, or even if it's not till winter or next spring, it's really important to get those plans drawn, get, get as much of the project pre-planned as you can. Yeah, absolutely. And like you mentioned, uh, and you and I talked during the application period, uh, some things have a long lead time. Yeah. You know, you might say, I'm going to dedicate the week before the deadline and, you know, clear my calendar and just spend it all on AMP. But that doesn't matter if you need to go to a government agency and get a permit right. for something. They don't turn it around that fast. You really yeah. need to start months in advance, you know, send them a letter or an email. Hey, I need this permit. And it will take them weeks, maybe months, um, you know, to get to your letter or email and respond to you and get back with that. So yeah. um, it, it, it just, there's a long lead time um, that is just part of submitting an application. Um, 
These yeah. applications are very competitive um, and it takes time and attention to details in order to have a competitive application. Because they are oversubscribed, um, you know, and they, you compete against other applications, you have to do a good job. You have to dot the I's, cross the T's. Um, and you know, you and I, Melissa, worked on one of them that was really, really early. And we were able to um, you know, spend time on little details, yeah. um, go back and like, hey, we can do this better. Hey, can we get more information on this? Because there was plenty of time to do that. Uh, these that I was working on that people got me information in the last week before the deadline, it's just a rush to do just the absolute absolute minimum that was required. And there just wasn't time to go back and say, hey, you know, can we polish up this area? Can we get more information here? Um, it's, you know, what's the absolute minimum? And we met the mark and, um, you know, we just weren't able to uh, get all those details. So again, that goes back to um, starting early and really looking at this isn't like NRCS or it's just yeah. a matter of getting it done. It's your application is going to be ranked against the app, other applications and only those that cut rice at the very top get funded. And so yeah. um, that's very important to remember as you're working on this. I know I, I really reiterated or tried to a lot of our producers, small bites at the apple, um, make it last, you know, make that apple last, but it, it may take a few weeks to get everything. It may be frustrating, but this isn't a college project that you can do. Um, I'm pulling all nighter on you. It takes, there's steps that have to be completed and it, it all works in succession. So just really focusing on, you know, doing those little, you know, bites at the apple over time is important. So from there, um, just want to have folks let me know if they're interested. I do keep a list um, and I'm starting to compile my list for the next round. And, you know, let me know if you're interested so I can put you on the list. If I can't help everybody, I take those people that on a first come first serve basis um, until I get overwhelmed. And then I have to start telling people, you know, if they come to me a week before the deadline, I'm sorry. And I'm swamped and, you know, working on those folks that let me know, you know, sometimes six months ago that they want to work with me. So I would reach out to either Melissa or myself. And, and you know, if you have an interest in submitting an application uh, so we can get you on that list of folks that are interested, um, that we can start doing that. And another thing is not only getting on the list, one of my experiences, people will call me six months ahead and say, yeah, I want to submit an application. And then I don't get anything from them. Bids are designed until two weeks before the deadline. It's, it's both. It's now saying, hey, I have an interest and then start working on those things and start getting you know, the bids, designs and all that stuff ahead of time, well ahead of time yeah. um, to, to, you know, to me, myself or Melissa or whoever you're working with. Uh, to be able to do that. Yeah, just getting on a list and then, you know, one week before the deadline saying, hey, here's my bid, um, that also creates a challenge. Yeah, again, just a follow-up, follow-up, follow-up is important on this project. So that was pretty much my tips. Um, start early, um, look at the details, um, you know, work with the people that you're working with. It could be myself, um, in the Central Valley, environmental consultants are a part of that because you're looking for permits, like you mentioned, um, either from you know the Air District or um, CEQA determination letters from the county and uh, environmental consultants have really helped me with that. This is a team uh, effort on these applications and I, I do enjoy working with the dairy producer and their team um, to make these happen. Uh, but that, that main point is, yeah, start early um, and you know keep it going, don't just, uh, you know, get on a list, but uh, keep putting that work together to get to the finish line uh, with a good competitive application. Yeah, 
It's, and it's all about details, I think. And I think we submitted some really good applications that we worked on over those last couple of weeks, but I really think we had some excellent applications that we were able to work on over a longer period of time. That We'll see what happens when it all comes out in the wash and they announce the, the um, grantees, but it, it was interesting to just to see how things come together a little better and you can really play with finer details of things when you have a little bit of extra time. And especially when we are working on um, I think I was working kind of juggling three or four at once. Paul was juggling seven or eight at once. And so um, remember, we have other producers we're working with too. Yeah, and so you know, we'll wait to see those awards on these to see uh, which one of those projects got uh, funded. And uh, that's always uh, you know, a great opportunity. Some very excited people uh, when they get the funding and uh, happy to have worked with them and to help them through that. And you know, great improvements for these dairies. I've visited several of these. Um, you know, they make different impacts on the dairies. Some of them just make a tremendous impact on, uh, yeah. you know, the facility, um, animal, you know, housing, uh, welfare, manure management, uh, just huge improvements that some of these projects make. And I really enjoy seeing that on these dairies. Yeah, it's it's always great. Um, you know, we've talked to Dave Renner on this podcast. I was out the other day, got a chance to tour his compost bedded pack barn. It's such a great project and really brings a lot um, of efficiency to the dairy and, and helps out a lot. And I could just think of so many other projects. We've seen separators go in and all kinds of different things that are, are really good. Um, and again, have many co-benefits, not just the reduction of methane, um, although that is kind of the key here. But um, yeah, we, we hope people can keep reaching out to us. We're happy to work on these. And I guess, Paul, just before you go, do we have any anticipated timeframe when we're going to learn who has been funded for AMP? I believe it's August okay. uh, that CDFA would be reaching out and letting those folks know that we're awarded the funds. And then there's a contracting period um, and projects are not anticipated to begin until the beginning of next year, 2023, right. uh, because there's that contracting and negotiating the contract. But in August, folks would know if they should be you know, planning on moving forward with their project. Great, well, we will have you back soon, Paul. I'm sure there's more fun environmental stuff to discuss now that the AMP deadline is over, but we really appreciate you coming on today. Again, we can't iterate enough. Please reach out to us if you even are a little bit interested in AMP and even digester projects. We work with some great companies that we can direct you to that can help with those applications. And um, we're, we're here, we wanna help you with it. Just please reach out early and reach out often. Yes, yes. thank you, Melissa. Thanks, Paul. Have a great weekend. Yosemite Farm Credit is the farmer's choice for agriculture financing. As a farmer-owned cooperative, we are dedicated to serving our neighbors in the agriculture community with financial products and services tailored to your operation and backed with the relationship you can trust. Whether you're purchasing real estate, making improvements to the dairy, or wanting to purchase or lease equipment, we're here to help our members prosper. Visit our website at yosemitefarmcredit.com to find a branch location nearest you. to welcome back to the show Western United Dairies CEO Anya Radabaugh. Welcome Anya. Thanks for having me. Of course. We promised the listeners a couple weeks ago that you would be back. You are here to talk about the governor's final shot at the May revise of the state budget. 
lots to talk about today. Um, for those who didn't get our update this week, uh, sounds like there was quite a bit of money available in the budget this year. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a sum of of, and I'll put surplus in parentheses because depending on your point of view, um, that's an asinine term to use in accounting. But uh, in January, the governor issued some statements suggesting that the budget would be about $76 billion higher than predicted revenue. Um, and what it actually came in was a $97.5 billion higher than expected. Wow. Uh, so there, yeah, it's, it's, it's a sum, basically they, they, they are running out of um, ways to invent to spend it. And so you kind of saw that on Friday um, you saw a bit of horse trading. You saw quite a bit of new spending, which should aggravate citizens in California. Um, but they have such a, a unexpected uh, additional income being generated from a lot of the property tax sales that have happened. Uh, the capital gains tax revenues have been, you know, really, really high. Of course, these ebb and flows, and we can talk about that. But it really... Um, the, the press announcements uh, and the subsequent press reaction have been pretty astonished because uh, no one projected, you know, it's one thing to be off by, oh, I don't know, a cool billion over the B, <laughs> but to be 30. off by yeah, almost 30, 25, you know, more than 25 billion. I, I just, yeah, it's just, it's astonishing. It really is. Absolutely. Well, it sounds like there may be some good news in that number for those of us in agriculture, hopefully. <laughs> Can we talk a little bit about maybe where some of the high points are this budget year? Sure. I think um, it would be, I, I, I'm not going to come on like some sleazeball CEO and suggest that this budget was a windfall for agriculture. There is actually um, historically from some of the negotiations that have happened in cap and trade, I would suggest this year is a little bit head scratching when it comes mm -hmm. to like broad California ag priorities. Okay. Uh, but part of that is because of the overwhelming downward pressure happening in drought. So a lot of the Christmas tree and, and those of us who have more than one kid or more than one siblings are familiar with the Christmas tree battle. How many presents does each kid get under the Christmas tree um, in a world of lobbying and, and political activity? generally even the best stakeholders get one present, right? So um, fighting for the presents was a little easier this year because you have such a surplus. I hate that word, but we have such a higher budget prediction than normal. But what has happened as a result of this uh, staggering drought has is a lot of the emergency packages were then devoted to drought, drought relief, food aid. Uh, there was, uh, of course, a lot of money in there for gas tax rebates, uh, which we can right. talk about. But I think that, you know, if I was keeping a scorecard for agriculture, I would put this budget in the uh, the lower scored category. Okay. Uh, for dairy, we'll, we'll focus on dairy. Obviously, um, my job is to cut deals for dairy farmers. And the minute that I don't do that is when everyone should fire me. That's the way I see it. Um, and so we were able to negotiate uh, quite a few, I think, historic arrangements, not just around drought, um, but around rendering, which is, uh, this is a new a new factor this year. So I'll start with some of the drought issues. Um, some of you have heard me talk about our demand reduction program. Mm -hmm. uh, I, there's a lot of phone calls. I apologize that I have to return on the last time I talked about demand reduction on this podcast. And now that that program is live. 
So we received um, $243 million. We asked for 250, uh, but we received $243 million to reduce groundwater demand in high priority uh, GSAs, groundwater sustainability um, agencies. And so areas where they're incredibly dependent, in fact, almost all entirely dependent on pumping groundwater, not just for agriculture, but for domestic wells around um, disadvantaged communities, this money is really supposed to go towards helping farmers accept the inevitability of fallowing. Um, we have to start from the premise as an organization that people are being paid nothing right now to fallow. So this is an untenable situation for someone um, like me because I mean, there's a whole asset portfolio that goes along with every field and every crop that a farmer has, including on the dairy and their accountants and there's balance sheets that are all associated with, you know, I'm gonna grow winter wheat over here and <clears throat> alfalfa over here. And so even following portions of that for free <clears throat> has been something that I think is, is uh, incredibly detrimental. So this money is to offset that. Um, the state is of course purchasing certainty around maintaining those domestic wells, preventing them from failing. Mm -hmm. That is a huge um, priority of this administration's is that everyone has a right to clean drinking water and available drinking water, but we just can't build enough canals or reservoirs. And so the state has, um, they, they listened to, um, you guys all remember Aubrey Betancourt and I, we rolled this program out last year. They listened, they worked with us on it. They made some tweaks um, and we are really starting to ramp up what that application process looks like. Okay. So yeah, I mean, it's, so this is good. Um, there's some more details that if people want to reach out to me, um, they're welcome to Anya, A-N-J-A at wudairies.com. Um, there's also, um, you know, some continued negotiations around evaporative transpiration rates around crops. I encourage our farmers to get involved if they have opinions about that. Obviously, you, if you decide to follow winter wheat and alfalfa or whatever combination of corn, whatever, uh, you want to make sure that you're getting the highest um, value for that. So that's something that I'm, I really want to hear from people on. Um, so yeah, that was a, a huge piece of the budget. Um, I would say the politics were, there were really ripe for that space. Um, and then we did also receive $48 million for livestock methane emissions. Uh, this is actually previously committed to funding. So I hesitate saying that this is a huge win because it, it, it definitely is appreciated. Um, but we were hoping with ARB's new report that suggests that dairy methane reduction efforts on the manure side have been so successful that we would actually be getting a bit more incentive funding. So that is something that our organization will be having to claw our way through the legislature the next few weeks on. Because um, just keep in mind, as we talk through these programs, this is the, uh, the governor's suggested budget. Right. The legislature now has its claws into it and the amount of you know, hijinks and horse trading and negotiation that will happen in the next two to three weeks, it, it, it's gonna be hard to keep track of. Like we were challenged enough uh, working with the governor's office to get this budget out, but the amount of stakeholders that now engage, is, it's, it's astronomical. Mm -hmm. So looking at that livestock methane emission money, um, you know, we've talked about how controversial digesters are in the legislature, particularly assembly that challenge still very much remains. Um, so we can't be blind to those things. 
Uh, we also received as part of cap and trade $150 million for the farmer program as the agricultural emissions reduction programs for people right. to, you know, purchase a lower tiered or excuse me. Yeah. Yeah. Lower tiered engines. Um, and then one of the unique things that we were able to work on kind of as a result of pandemic response and just constant lack of availability of fresh dairy products like cheese and, and milk and whole milk and chocolate milk was the lack of reefer space across particularly disadvantaged communities in the valley. Uh, disadvantaged communities in LA uh, really put their hands up and said, we have a problem administering anything that's fresh. And most of us know that our products need to be, they need to be refrigerated. <laughs> so we were able to secure $45 million um, in the budget to create, it's called Healthy Schools Meal Pathway Program so that these food service industries can specifically install reaper space for dairy products. So that was kind of exciting. Um, a few good and presents then under the tree for sure. <laughs> yeah, I, maybe I maybe I undersold the presents. Um, I mean, you know, we have a big present here with the demand reduction, and then I I'll, I guess I'll put the other ones in the stocking stuffer category. Um, <laughs> and we can talk about the lump of coal that is the gas tax rebate. But let me touch on one more uh, stocking stuffer. Um, and this is not just my effort. Obviously, there's a lot of people involved in this. Uh, Secretary Karen Ross obviously needs to be thanked here. But we've had some serious animal mortality problems uh, yes. throughout the states, not just in dairy. There's been some poultry issues. And so CDFA was actually given $1.2 million to assist them in these rendering emergencies. Um, that means either they can shift capacity around, they could work with some of the county landfills to actually make sure that more mortalities can be taken. A lot of times when, especially in the Valley, when there's no rendering capacity, the only other option that dairy farmers have is to take their animals to the landfills. Um, and then of course, the likely scenario is that they don't do that and they end up and compost them. So this money is supposed to assist in getting some of the red tape taken down. Um, it's almost like putting up red tape, take down red tape, but um, really assisting CDFA in these rendering emergencies was something that um, I hope will help our farmers. Definitely. Yeah, and then some broader gas tax issues. Um, I will start by saying that the gas tax rebate or you know what, what the money back to Californians look like is extremely debating. Like the level of debate that's happening, particularly around the gas tax is very partisan right now. Um, yeah. And so Governor Newsom proposed that every uh, car receive $400 rebate for each eligible owner. Uh, each household can claim two vehicles. Um, it does exclude corporate and fleet vehicles, but that is his version of um, kind of helping with the pain. The Senate has a really different idea, a really different idea about mm -hmm. that. Um, and the Assembly, I'm not quite sure where they are on this issue, but that is definitely one of the ones that will make the press, it will make the media. Um, I think there's just a lot of concern that, uh, well, you've got, as usual, you've got lots of different stakeholders that have different opinions. Yeah. People that don't own cars that say they bicycle for a living or maybe they rely on bus service are very pissed off because this plan doesn't, you know, doesn't really help them with their financial issues. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then you've got like a whole other group of electric car dri drivers that kind of are annoyed about it because they're also getting rebates for just purchasing electric cars. 
I don't know. I, I mean, and one of the things that he did propose, and we will be tracking carefully, that will really directly affect uh, dairy and, and agriculture in general, is the governor has proposed a year pause on an increase on diesel fuel. So there, um, there was a scheduled 3.9% tax increase on diesel fuel. Oh, it was supposed to start, I know, <laughs> that's all we need. Um, so he is proposing that that be paused at least for a year. So that's actual real money that I think um, people would appreciate. Yeah. yeah. So I'll let them argue about their gas tax rebate, but if, if we can maintain this proposal, I, I, I kind of, I feel like that would be a win for us. Definitely. I, for one, would not mind paying a gas tax ever if it actually improved the roads we drove on and things like that. I know I've had a lot of those conversations with my dairymen, and it seems like a lot of complicated discussion for a fairly simple solution, but we're going to roll with it. We're going to, I guess, try to work as hard as we can to get the best deal for our producers in this little lump of coal situation. And um, yeah, I think you know, as they say, it is what it is at this point, we're doing the best we can. Well, I, I yeah, I, I, I'm struggling with how to be diplomatic in entertaining this conversation. Uh, it, so I asked that question of Caltrans and I was just like, you know, you guys increased the gas tax in 2018. It was incredibly controversial in the legislature. I and mean, we, that was one of the rare moments that we publicly opposed uh, the Newsom administration and just, uh, excuse me, this was actually the outgoing Jerry Brown administration. We just, we, after cap and trade, after the battles that had been fought for them to still increase the gas tax, it was absolutely pitched that the roads needed to be fixed and we needed better bridges and none of that's been done. And when we, we really pushed on that as a, as a stakeholder group, um, Caltrans said that they've lost just as, as many employees as the average business throughout COVID mm -hmm. for different reasons and that they actually no amount of money uh, could increase speed at which they have these projects um, currently laid out because they don't have they don't have the staff they don't have the crew so you know I but yeah it's very frustrating because of all the taxes we paid to still drive through 580 and had your teeth knocked out um, <laughs> to, put a, to put a point on it so yeah those are some of the highlights um, that we're in this budget and i think that um you know now the the real negotiation will continue there is uh, something our members uh, always ask me about there is something called the gan limit g-a-n-n which is a taxpayer protection measure uh, that was adopted in 1979 which actually limits the growth of expenditures for publicly funded programs and um so that's why the legislature and the governor are really trying to figure out where you know, what the percentage that they can spend without literally writing people's checks back. And it's frustrating because people are really hurting on the grocery side right now and the gas side. Yeah. And then you get into the housing side and there's just, there's pain everywhere. Um, but the iron law of bureaucracy is to maintain the bureaucracy at all costs. Um, that's the one rule they follow. So there's a lot of conversations around the scan limit and running a ballot measure in 2024. Um, you know, where the governor's thinking about, you know, expanding the size of the rainy day fund, which Jerry Brown was really known for keeping very, very full. Yeah. Because as we mentioned earlier, the budget's extremely dependent on capital gains tax revenues and those ebb and flow. And so we know that the recession is coming. 
we know that those tax revenues are going to drop. And so Jerry Brown was really insistent on maximizing rainy day funds and Governor Newsom hasn't really ever, had, he hasn't had to tighten his belt to do that yet. And so he is looking to, in, you know, instead of give people back money, he would like to increase the size of the rainy day fund and regularly obligate more of these uh, surpluses, I guess, into that fund. Mm-hmm. But, you know, those are, those, are, um, those are issues that I would suggest as a dairy trade association are not in my lane, right? I will always advocate for a better business climate, yep. but it's just like people asking me to help them out with gun control or, you know, the other A word, I just, those are not in the lanes that I have credibility. So we have to kind of be on the sidelines for that. Yes. Stick to what our producers need and and make sure we're doing our due diligence on their behalf is sometimes it's tough, but that's why we're here. (laughs) Well, Anya, anything else you'd like to add for our um, listeners, anything they should do to kind of make their voice be heard as this moves to the legislature or we'll keep them in the loop for sure in our update and on this podcast. Well, I, you know, state lawmakers always have their own priorities. Um, I'm definitely going to be speaking with our North Coast members about, um, you know, working with us on increasing the methane, uh, the, the manure methane funding. Um, I, the more that we can build our manure resume on reducing uh, methane, the less likely enteric conversations will continue, at least in the space of regulated enteric reductions. And this is a critical priority, especially for our smaller dairies who cannot bear the burden of um, what a methane reduction permit would look like. The only way to do that in most of our, or most of our small dairy cases is to reduce the herd size. So these are, these are unacceptable situations for us as an organization moving forward. So I will be reaching out for a lot of, um, sometimes it really does help for a member in the assembly or the Senate to hear directly from some of their affected constituents, it's much more than I can offer. Um, sometimes, you know, I think I think our audience has heard me say both things. Uh, these massive, like blank, writing letter campaigns uh, where people can do form, right. they, those rarely have an effect. Um, you know, those are usually getting sent right to, to junk mail. So, um, but having the ability to personally call a member of the legislature or personally write them a letter, we will make sure it gets into the right chief of staff's hands those things do make an impact. Definitely. So definitely be reaching out on that. And then members who are in that vein of following acreage this year, we had a lot of people last year that, that needed help in these demand reduction areas. Please reach out to me. Um, we're, like I said, we're, we've been given a lot of latitude to build this program and I'm very thankful for that. Um, but I can't say this enough, having the state come to the table on accepting that there is a monetary value to groundwater as part of the landowner's portfolio of rights. So like when you buy a piece of land, you buy the mineral rights that go with that. You usually buy the water rights that go with that. And so this is a historic moment for, I think, the future of groundwater law, the future of water law, because the state is essentially saying this is something that should not be taken. We will pay you for it. We believe that the human right to water makes water part of the public trust. Yep. And I, I think that's wonderful. And it's absolutely the case. If you want something from us, then you get to buy it, you know, and that's the way it should work. So the regulatory taking 
of water and groundwater, um, you know, I'm on a mission to stop that as best I can. Um, but we also have to be rational actors. So yeah, I really want members to reach out to me on this. I'm excited about it, uh, maybe more than I should be, but mostly because I see it as a potential solution in a very uh, post-sigma environment that is going to be less and less voluntary. This yeah. program is an opportunity to plan your business out and to hopefully buy enough feed you know, at the right price. I know that's a terribly difficult challenge right now for most, most farmers. Um, but I think that there's an opportunity here to use even more byproducts. Um, it's the only thing that's left. <laughs> but I also um, am just really excited about the word that I think our farmers will have if they really utilize this program. Definitely, and it certainly seems like something that has viability in the long term if it if it works how it should. So yeah. that's exciting too. Something that can help out in future years when things don't but go how just, we hope they do. <laughs> Right. Well, just I hope that it just like all the other disaster planning that we pay, you know, we have insurance for. I'm, I'm kind of hoping that this is a insurance certainty for, you know, groundwater demand. Um, but just by the way, I didn't mention this. Uh, this isn't just for like dairies in white area GSAs. If if there are dairies in your region, Melissa, up in the North right. Coast, this is a statewide program. So um, anybody that really wants our help in that regard, we're ready to, to make it work. Um, in fact, a member of the legislatures would really appreciate it if we found a few um, folks that wanted to take advantage of this on the North Coast. Okay. Um, so, yeah, but it's just a lot of the attention obviously goes towards areas that, you know, are really sucking the, the groundwater out. Yes, yeah. Well, we sure appreciate your time today, Anya. Thank you so much, as always, for popping in. We'll have more updates as the summer progresses through the end of session and late August. Hopefully. <laughs> Things won't be too exciting, but I have a feeling they will. So um, we'll be calling on you more. But again, thanks for, for always hopping on and joining us for updates. My pleasure. I hope everybody has a good week. Did you know that you can turn your dairy manure into cash? Bennett Environmental is offering above-ground dairy digesters at no cost to you. These systems can also remove nitrates from your lagoons to help you comply with water board regulations. Our proven above-ground technology will generate income for your dairy into the foreseeable future. Because we truck the renewable natural gas off-site, your dairy can profit regardless of your location. Bennett Environmental, turning your wastewater liabilities into sustainable assets. Learn more at bennett-environmental.com. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of Seen and Heard, industry updates for the modern dairy family. As always, we'd love to hear from you. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the episode at your favorite podcasting platform. And if you have questions, comments, or content requests, shoot us an email. D-A-R-B-Y at wudairies.com or M-L-E-M-A at wudairies.com. A huge shout out to our contributors this week, Tiffany LaMandola of Blimling Ever Egg, Anya Radabaugh, Western United Dairy CEO, and Paul Souza, Western United Dairies Director of Environmental Affairs. Thanks again for joining us. Have a great week, everyone. While West United Dairies respects the varied views of our podcast guests, please know that views expressed on Seen and Heard may not necessarily reflect the positions of the West United Dairies Board of Directors. Thank you to Western United Dairies' generous business sponsors, Gar Bennett, 
California Dairy Magazine, Farm Credit Alliance, FNR Ag Services, Moss Energy Works, Bennett Environmental, PG&E, and Yosemite Farm Credit. We appreciate our sponsors and thank them for their continued support. If you'd like more information on how to sponsor Western United Dairies or this podcast, please send us an email at info at wudairies.com. That's info at wudairies.com. Thank you.